0: took him on her phone right when she he got off the ark. So you know you need to look at that. It's one of a kind. Maybe worth a lot of money. So uh, anyhow, that's it. We are very happy that all of you are here tonight. It's good to see each of you. I know it's a, a rainy old nasty kind of day as far as the rain goes. It's been that way for a few days, but it's looking better on the weekend and I appreciate each of you for taking the time to be here tonight. That says a lot about... Uh, your priorities, and uh, that's certainly commendable. Of course, uh, before we begin tonight, we want to uh, have a a word of prayer. We want to remember all the sick, and of course, you can see an updated list of those in the bulletin, so I hope you'll take note of that. I do want to give special attention to uh, Diane White, who was baptized yesterday, and uh, we want to commend her for that. So we have a new sister in Christ, so that's very, very uh, very great news, and we're happy for her. Alright, let's begin with a prayer. Will you bow with me? A merciful and kind Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the day, for the blessings that you've given us. We're mindful that all things come from you, and without you we would be nothing, we would have nothing. Father, we're mindful of many who are sick, and we pray that you would be with each one of those as you know their needs. We are mindful of those that are continuing to uh, deal with grief as they've lost loved ones. We pray that your hand of comfort and healing would be upon them. We pray that you'll bless us in our Bible study tonight. May we learn some things that will help us in our everyday Christian lives, that we would be better people and better servants of you. Father, we're, we're especially grateful for your son Jesus, who gave his life on the cross for our sins and for the hope that we have because of his death and his resurrection. And it's in his name that we ask these things. Amen. All right. We're going back and looking at men at the patriarchal age. And, you know, I think about a, a young man that got his driver's license at age 16. And he asked his father if he could borrow the vehicle, you know, to use it every now and then. And the father said, I believe you can do that but I want you to do three things for me. Number one, I want you to make good grades. Number two, I want you to read your Bible every day. And number three, I want you to get a haircut. And if you'll do those three things for me, I'll let you use the family vehicle. Well, a few weeks went by and the boy came to his father. He said, Dad, I, I think I deserve the car now because... You've seen my report card, I've made great grades, you've observed a Bible study, we've had some good discussions about the Bible, but I'm just not sure about getting a haircut, Dad, because when I read my Bible, it looks like those folks in the Bible had long hair. And the father said, well, son, they also walked everywhere they went, and you're not getting the car until you get a haircut. So anyhow, uh, that was the wisdom of a father. All right, you know, one of the most profitable ways to study principles of truth and righteousness, I believe, is to see them as we see those principles demonstrated in the lives of men and women on the pages of inspiration. Uh, Noah is certainly a character that we're all familiar with, and his life is certainly worth looking at and observing. God certainly thought so. It's very interesting to go over to Ezekiel chapter 14 and verse 14, and the Bible there says, Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord. And that same verse is repeated in verse 30 as well. And so tonight, for the next few minutes, and again, I want to ask you to make comments in whatever way you might see fit and uh, make some observations. I want to hear from you because uh, you folks are very wise and uh, you've studied the Bible a long time and you're going to have some good thoughts, I'm sure, to share with all of us. So let's note some things about the character of Noah tonight. The first thing I want to observe about Noah, I think it's very, very important, particularly in our culture and in our time, is that Noah was a non Conformist. I want to read something to you from the author Isaac Arrett. He wrote a book called "Evenings with the Bible." And notice what this particular author said about Noah. He said, and I quote: "He was faithful among the faithless when a deluge of wickedness swept over the earth and engulfed nearly all the posterity of Seth. Noah." remained true to the teaching of his pious ancestry, and of him as of Enoch, it was said that he walked with God. It required a lofty faith and great decision of character thus to stem the tide of universal corruption. He rode triumphantly on the raging billows of this flood of impiety and violence before he was called to ride in triumph over the flood of waters that drowned the apostate race. There is involved in this a wondrous moral heroism. While altar after altar of the families of apostatizing saints crumbled into ruin, and the smoke of sacrifice no longer rose to bear witness to faith in God through the sin offerings of the contrite in heart, the fire never went out. At Noah's altar, it sent up at last the only column of smoke that told of faith still living among men. His altar fires never dried away until quenched in the waters of the deluge. I just thought that was a very powerful statement about how Noah was a nonconformist in a very difficult and trying time. And I think there's a lot of things that we need to learn as a result of looking at Noah's attitude and his character in such a wicked time. You know, Christians today are to be non-conformists in a time of conformity. There's a lot of pressure on us today to give in, right? You know, we hear a lot about the silent majority. You know, why is that the case? Why is there the silent majority oftentimes you know we let the wicked push their agendas on our culture today right many times we in the majority i think most of the time just seem to to stay silent many times we find it difficult to be non-conformist uh, in a world that is pressuring us to conform And I don't mean that we ought to be cantankerous just to be cantankerous. You know, we ought not be nonconformist just because we want to be different. That's not what I'm talking about. But we are to be separate from the world. Now, if you look at some Bible passages along this line, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, the Bible says, Wherefore, come you out from among them and be you separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and you will be my sons and my daughters, saith the Almighty. Now you think about the blessing that is associated with that, to be the sons and daughters of the Almighty God. But in order to do that, in order to have that relationship with God, The challenge Paul gives is we've got to come out from among those that are of the world. We have to be different from the world. We have to be separate from the world. And when we are separate and distinct from the world, are they going to take notice or not? Is it going to be obvious to them? I had this down as an illustration, but I don't know if I'm going to use it. I guess I'll use it, Abby's here, but you know, my son's a captain in the Marine Corps. And uh, when he was going through ROTC at Auburn, he was known as the Marine that didn't cuss. You know, they could just tell, you know, by the fact that he didn't use that kind of language that something was different. You know, he didn't come out and say, I'm a Christian, so I don't cuss. He just didn't use that kind of language. And so, you know, there's little things like that that indicate that we're different from the world. What are some other indications? What are some other ways that we need to be separate from the world? Alright, the company we keep. You think about the people that we associate with. And that's that's very dangerous. We always talk about our young people, especially, right? Associating with the right kinds of people. Well, I've seen I've seen adults fall into the same kind of trap. You know, I've seen husbands and wives get a divorce because maybe one of the spouses was hanging around some worldly people at work and Gradually over time, they got away from God and eventually you know, they took up with another and committed adultery. And so all of us, if we're not careful, are subject to the pressures of conforming to those round about us. And so we've got to be separate in the company we keep. I've always said, if I want to know something about you, if I can spend just ten minutes with your three closest friends... I think that'll tell me a whole lot about your character. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. What other ways do we not need to conform to the world? Anybody else? There's our associates. We talked about language. Dress. That's very important. You know, nowadays, you know, you can't tell, you know, out of wear from underwear, right? People's out there dressing in all kinds of ways. And then... You know, Christians even post that kind of thing on Facebook is what's shocking to me sometimes. And, uh, you know, if somebody were to knock on somebody's door, a lady, and, you know, she was in her underwear, oh, she'd go hide, right? But that same lady would wear the same kind of outfit that's called a swimsuit, you know, out in public. What's the difference? And so, you know, there's got to be a difference in how we dress. I don't mean that we dress, you know, like, you know, wear those big hats and, you know, we cover up completely with those coats like, you know, we see uh, some groups today uh, do. But, you know, we've got to be different in how we dress and how we look and so forth. Anybody else got any thoughts besides those? Places we go. That says a lot about us, right? Yep. Now, well, I, I guess I'll share this. I spent a lot of times. I spent a lot of time in a package store last September and October, where they sell liquor. I spent quite a bit of time. You know, what I would do is I would go by there and get boxes. They're the best kind of boxes to move. You know, pack books in and all. So I'd go in there and say, "Hey, I'm not here to buy liquor." And I'd tell the people that were in there, "I'm not here to buy liquor. Just give me your boxes over there, and I'll get out of here." You see, I felt bad even going in there to get those boxes. But anyhow, and then I saw the prices. I said, how can people afford to drink? You know, even, wow, those prices were sky high, you know. Uh, but, uh, you know, we've got to watch the places we go, and and uh, certainly we don't need to be necessarily judgmental of somebody when we see them at a certain place. We may not know all the circumstances, but, you know, the places we go uh, can say a lot about, you know, our character and who we are and, and what we are. What else? Anybody got else? anybody else got any thoughts? Uh huh. Okay. See, that says a lot about respect, right? Okay. That's exactly right. The way people choose to act when they're around you. Do they act differently because they know you're different? You know, do they respect you enough that... You know, it's amazing how they can just turn off the bad language all of a sudden, right? When somebody shows up. So I think that's a very good point right there. How 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 does a worldly person act when they may be around me and they know I'm a Christian? You know, we've heard that statement before. Uh, and you know what I'm talking about, if you were on trial today for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Think about that. If you are on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Now, look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. That's another verse that, that is certainly uh, valuable along this point. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, when the Bible says, don't be conformed to this world, what that literally says is, don't be fashioned according to the pattern of this world. How long How long is it till Christmas? It's getting here fast, isn't it? Walmart have the decorations out next week, is that right? I don't know. But, uh, you know, uh, the holidays, we like to make cookies, right? And I know the grandkids, they like to make cookies with grandma, and you know we like to make different kinds of cookies, and what you do is you buy those Christmas shapes, right? Maybe it's a snowman or a Santa Claus or a reindeer, and you get the cookie dough, and you push that mold down into that dough, and what does that dough do? It's fashioned according to that particular mold. And so what the Bible is saying is, we as Christians are not to be fashioned according to the mold of, of this world and if we're not careful we can allow that to happen we can allow ourselves to conform to this world and uh, that's something that romans chapter 12 says that we need to avoid and then you look at first john chapter 2 beginning in verse 15 where what okay love not the world neither the things that are in the world if any man loved the world The love of the Father is not in Him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Love not the world. I wonder how many people today in the church are just kind of Too happy where we are in this world? Do we enjoy being a part of this world? Are we we just too comfortable here? So we need to realize the Bible teaches we don't belong here, right? Uh, Several people now are going to be taking vacations, right? School's out. And so several people will be going out of town. And even though you go on vacation, aren't you happy to get home, right? What if you had to live where you were going, perhaps? What if you just had to stay there? You know, I don't belong there. My family's back home. You know, my work's back home. Where I'm comfortable is back home. Well, we need to realize that this world is not our home. The Bible describes us as strangers and pilgrims. Just like, you know, Abraham, when he was moving around from place to place, he didn't really belong there. He was a pilgrim. And he was looking for a better place, a city uh, not made with hands. And so... I've got to understand when it comes to loving the world. Of course, there are sinful things of the world, but it also has to do with just really. I'm happy to be here, and I just don't know if I want to go anywhere else or not. You know, some people just love the world uh, too much. Uh, let me ask you this question. I know it's a, just a scenario there. Right now, if you could, if you could go to heaven in the next ten. Let's just say one minute. Would you go right now? Well, let me go take care of this, and let me go take care. Of, oh, wait a minute. I want to say bye. You know, I just that's just a question I'm throwing out there. If you could go to heaven in sixty seconds, would you take the opportunity? Some say yes, right? You know, I want to tell my loved ones bye, or you know, or whatever. Well, like uh, I can say. You know, that's that's not going to happen. I don't think. But you never know. But, uh, you know, suppose that was the truth. See, we don't belong here. You know, when you're out of town in some place you're not familiar with, you, there's no place like home, is there? If you go back home in 60 seconds, you'd take it, wouldn't you? So let's understand that we cannot love the world. Another verse that we need to understand that really warns us is in the book of James chapter 4 and verse 4. It says, you adulterers and adulteresses. That's serious, isn't it? Be call somebody that? You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. That's a very powerful passage. Uh, it's a warning against being friends with the world and getting along with the world and enjoying the world as we know it today in our culture. And then, of course, let me mention James 1, verse 27. We know the verse that talks about pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows and their afflictions and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So the world can spot our spiritual garments, can it? Now, that's something that we're warned against. And uh, James says if we allow the world to spot and disdain us, then we're in the category of being adulterers and adulteresses because we are the bride of Christ, right? And therefore, we are to behave as the bride of Christ. You know, during the later 1800s, when there was a digression that involved instrumental music and the missionary society and these things were posing a tremendous threat to the church that existed uh, in the late 1800s and early 1900s, there was a cartoonist that pictured Brother David Lipscomb, you know, the founder of Lipscomb University, a great restoration preacher. And this cartoon pictured Brother Lipscomb as a man with a broom. With that broom, he's trying to sweep back the ocean. And what they were saying was is, Brother Lipscomb stood against the tide of false teaching and error. And even though it looked to be overwhelming, he stood his ground and uh, he stood for what's right. You know, concerning the majority, the Bible says in Exodus 23 and verse 2, you shall not follow a multitude to do evil. What do we always say to our kids or young people when they say everybody's doing it? What's the common thing we always say to them? Yeah, that's right. You know, if everybody jumps off a bridge, would you? <laughs> you know, that's, from what I've seen, some of them might today too. I don't know. But uh, anyhow, uh, we cannot follow the multitude to do, it, to do evil. the you. It's swayed by the opinions of others rather than finding out on our own uh, what's right and wrong. Now, Matthew, I'm going to close with Matthew 7, 13, and 14, where we find a contrast there, a strong contrast. Enter ye in by the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. So here Jesus describes uh, the road we travel in life. Uh, Most people are going to choose the easy way. They're going to choose the broad way. You can carry all your sins and all your desires and all your selfishness into that broad way, and you can just travel down that road with no changes whatsoever, And it may be fun for a while, but it's going to lead to destruction. Jesus talked about the narrow way. That's constricted, right? You have to be disciplined to walk down the narrow way. You've got to put away your sin and put away your arrogance and put away yourself, as it were, and have the attitude that you're going to follow Jesus Christ at all costs to travel down that narrow way. So, first of all, he was a nonconformist. Secondly, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. I think this is a very interesting point here. The Bible says in 2 Peter 2 and verse 5 about Noah that God spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. And of course, uh, the Bible talks about Noah, and I'm not going to go into this context tonight and... 1 Peter chapter three, verses eighteen through twenty one. The Bible talks about Noah uh, while you know everything was waiting for the flood. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. But he only managed to save eight people, didn't he? And uh Noah gave a message of righteousness. And God only saves people today by speaking words, doesn't he? You recall when Saul was told to go to Damascus? What was going to happen there? He would be told words by which he might be saved. Philippian jailer, they spake unto him the word of the Lord. So, you know, that's how people are taught. It's by the message. It's by the preaching of righteousness. And we know that Noah's message was certainly not a popular message at all. What do you imagine Noah said? Anybody got any thoughts on that? Repent? How did they react to that message of repent? Like what I'm doing? You know, the Bible talks about how they ridiculed him. You can imagine they laughed at him for building that ark. It had never rained on the earth before. And, uh, you know, did Noah's message make those people feel good about themselves? Yep. Yeah. You know, some churches have started in certain places by going out into the community and polling the people in that community and giving them what they want. And uh, what they want sometimes is good music, right? Don't talk about sin, you know. And they define sin as anything that causes a lack of self esteem. That's the definition of sin that's given today. Joel Osteen's the worst, isn't he? You know, he has said he refuses to talk about anything in regard to sin. It's just not going to happen. This is all feel good, psycho babble. About you know whatever subject that he's going to talk about, he brings thousands in, doesn't he? And uh, he'll talk to them for a while while that little world spins around. You know, you ever notice how many times that world spins in one 30-minute show? Count that sometime next time you watch Joel Osteen. But it's interesting to watch sometimes and just see how he deals with his message. Sadly, today there's some preachers that go about doing the same thing, right? In other words, there are some churches of Christ you can go to and the lessons that is presented could be preached in just about any denominational church around. And it wouldn't make a bit of difference in the world. Now, we're to preach the whole counsel of God, right? Did you realize that a preacher could preach the truth every single lesson that he ever preaches and not preach the whole counsel of God? That's possible, right? And so Noah presented a message that was hard for his hearers. And I don't think they liked what he said one bit. And uh, it reminds me a lot of the Apostle Paul. You think about when he stood before Felix. And if you remember there, in Acts 24 and verse 25, Paul stood before Felix and he was on trial for his life. Now, Can you imagine a man like Paul on trial for his life, he's speaking before Felix and his wife, Drusilla, you know, what would you say? He's on trial for his life, and yet the Bible says, he reasoned with him of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. And he preached to him about righteousness, right living. You know, Felix was a, A man that had every kind of unbridled lust imaginable. And now he's telling him, you've got to discipline yourself now. You know? Uh, He talked about temperance, self-control. You can't live like you once lived. You've got to make some changes. And then he talked about the judgment to come. I'd love to have a recording of that sermon, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you love to have a a, a CD of that? If you know what a CD is, right? Right? But uh, he preached about righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Now, why would Paul, when he's on trial for his life, speak to this ungodly ruler about righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come? Why would he do that when he's on trial for his life? Well, it was because that's what that man needed to hear and not what he necessarily wanted to hear. And if a preacher's going to be a true man of God, he'll always tell people what they need to hear, even though he knows it's not what they would like to hear. And you know, that sermon profoundly impacted Felix, didn't it? And he trembled, didn't he? He trembled. And as far as we know, he never obeyed the gospel. And you think about John the Baptist as he stood before Herod in Matthew chapter 14. You know, Herod had taken a woman as his wife, and it was unlawful for him to be married to her, and he just flat out stated, it's not lawful for you to have her. There was ongoing sin in this relationship. And you know, she didn't like that a bit, right? She waited for her opportunity. Finally, that opportunity came right when Herod became drunk, and he told his uh, wife's Daughter, you know you can have anything you want up to half the kingdom, you know. And we know what happened after that. Mama, what should I ask for? What What do you want? I want John's head on a platter. See, she's been plotting all along, hadn't she? Finally, the time for her vengeance had come, and and uh, John lost his head because he stood for what's right. And so, the kind of preaching that we should expect, the kind of preaching that Noah. Presented is found in uh, the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 4, 1 through 4, where the Bible says, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. What does that mean? When they like it and they don't like it. You know, somebody used to say back in the old days when a preacher would travel different places, you know, uh, when the preacher came, it's in season. So, we have preaching when it's in season, when the preacher's here, right? Sometimes it's out of season, uh, you know, when he's gone. Uh, but that's not what it means. It means preach it whether somebody likes it or not. It says reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And so, Noah preached righteousness, but not only did he preach right, righteousness, he practiced what he preached. Genesis 6 and verse 9 says that he was a righteous man, he was a preacher. Of righteousness, you know. I think about uh, Brother Flavel Nichols, who tells the story about you know when he moved to Jasper uh, many many years ago, and uh, his first thought or what he wanted to do, he wanted to go into the businesses in town and and meet the people. Well, he went to one business and he met them. I'm the new preacher here, and they said, Well, what happened to the old preacher? Well, he moved on, blah blah blah, and the businesses kept asking. That, about that older preacher, where is he now? Finally, he asked one person, why are you asking about the older preacher? Well, he owes me money. And uh, he, and come to find out, he owed all those businesses money. So Flabel Nichols went to the elders and said, I want money to pay off all this debt. The church needs a good name in this community. Well, Flabel Nichols gave this advice to preachers one time, younger preachers. If you're going to preach successfully, number one, you need to study. You need to pay your debts and keep your hands off the women. Those are three things that, that you need to do in order to preach. So Noah was a preacher of righteousness. All right, quickly, Noah was persevering. Uh, we believe from the statement in Genesis 6 and verse 3 that his preaching lasts for 120 years, and yet he couldn't save anybody from his fam- but his family. Now, if a preacher at a certain place preached Five years and couldn't save anybody for his family, probably wouldn't have a job too long today, would he? But Noah preached for 120 years. Now how valuable are the members of a preacher's family? You know, what shall it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own family? And a lot of preachers make the mistake and have made the mistake of neglecting their own families while trying to save the world. But not Noah. Uh, can you imagine how discouraging it must have been to not be able to even change one person's mind outside of your own family? Did he give up? Did he quit? Now, I want us to understand something here before we move on. The Bible says preach the Word. It doesn't say enforce the Word. Always remember that. When you get frustrated that people aren't listening, it's not your job to enforce the Word. Your job is to preach the Word, not enforce it. We can't make people do things that they're bound and determined they're not going to do. And so all we can do is plant the seed. That's all we can do. And Noah never did quit. He just kept on preaching. And uh, I think that says a lot. The next point, Noah walked with God. I'm just going to briefly mention that because we talked about Enoch last week walking with God. And the Bible says that Noah walked with God as well. And I think that says a lot. He walked by faith. He was in agreement with God, and he uh, kept step with God. Also, Noah was a just man and a perfect man. Genesis 6 and verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Now, the word just there means he he dealt equitably with his fellow man. Uh, The word perfect doesn't mean sinless. The word perfect means here that he just followed God without any reservations at all. Uh, there was no quality of uprightness and godliness lacking in his character. Doesn't mean that he never committed sin at all. It kind of reminds us of the description of the qualifications of elders when the Bible says in First Timothy chapter three and verse two that an elder is to be blameless. Doesn't mean perfect or sinless. Hebrews six and verse one talks about how we're to go on to perfection. And if we had time tonight, we would talk about uh, the Christian virtues, how we're to give all diligence to add to our faith virtue, and so forth, and how important that is. And as long as we're in the process of adding these virtues, then we're heading in the right direction. Then let me suggest in the next place that Noah is an example of salvation by grace. The Bible says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now let me ask you a couple of questions about grace. Did God just arbitrarily select Noah? Or was it because he was a just man, perfect in his generations, and that he walked with God? I think that's true. Isn't it? See, nobody saved by grace alone. Anytime you hear somebody say, We're saved by anything alone. A red flag needs to go up. Now, did this grace eliminate the necessity of obeying God? Certainly not. He had to obey. Then let me also suggest that Noah is an example of salvation by faith. Hebrews 11 and verse 7 is a classic commentary on faith. It says, by faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear prepared an ark to the saving of his house by which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness, which is by faith. What is faith according to the Bible? Is it something just in our minds? Okay. How do you know somebody has faith? James says, show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. By faith, Noah did what? He prepared an ark, didn't he? How do you know Noah had faith? Because of what he did. So biblical faith is always manifested in action. It's manifested by what we do. And sure, Noah was saved by grace, but he was also saved by faith. And yet salvation by faith doesn't mean by faith only, does it? As we know, James 2 and verse 24. And then lastly... Noah is an example of salvation by obedience to God's commands. I love what the Bible says in Genesis six and verse twenty-two. I need to put that uh, to a tune for kids to sing. You know, thus, if anybody wants to write a tune for it, do it. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. You want to go home and watch Disney and listen to some of the songs on there, and then make a tune out of that, pass it along to me, I'd appreciate that, right? But uh, Noah did what God said. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. And so the necessity of obedience to the commands of God is taught clearly throughout both the Old and New Testaments. And when we come to the last book of the Bible, the very last chapter, Matthew 22 and, I mean Revelation 22 and verse 14, the Bible says, Blessed are they that do... His commandments. That they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. Who are those that are blessed? It's those that obey Him. Those that do His commandments. Are we saved by grace? Yeah. you know The Bible talks about the word of His grace. God's grace, the Bible says the grace of God has appeared to all men. Teaching us. That's how we know about grace. That's how grace is delivered. It's through the teaching of the Word of God. It teaches us. Grace does that we are to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, and we are to live soberly and righteously in God in this present world. And so, we're saved by grace, but at the same time, we're saved by faith, we're saved by our compliance with the will of God. And yet in all this, remember... I never do one thing that merits my salvation. I'm no better than anybody else. You think about the worst criminal that's ever been put to death. The atrocities that you may hear that somebody commits. I feel sorry for the folks in Texas right now. What a terrible, terrible thing to happen. An 18-year-old boy, you know. Did you know in God's eyes, even somebody like that is... No worse than us, as far as sin goes. I'm not saying that that's not bad. I'm just saying time I begin to think how good I am and how right I am and how deserving I am, I'm going in the wrong direction. I think about a lady one time that walked out after a sermon and said to the preacher, "I, I, I sure hope I've done enough to go to heaven." The preacher said, "Don't worry, man, you haven't. you know, And we haven't, right? No matter, I can do all the good in the world, I'll never deserve heaven. But at the same time, the Bible talks about how that by grace are you saved through faith, which is an active, obedient faith. And so God's grace, through His Word, teaches me what I must do, not only in order to be saved through the act of baptism, but it teaches me how to continue to be cleansed, 1 John 1 and verse 7, as I walk in the light on a daily basis. And so, please keep that in mind. Now, Romans 15 and verse 4 says, Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and the comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. And I hope that we can learn some things and have learned some things about Noah tonight that can help us. I appreciate your attention and uh, thank you so much for your comments tonight and I, I appreciate it. i to do I, Do I lift up my soul unto the old? Lord. Unto the old Lord.
1: Do I lift up my
0: soul? time for us to go ahead and get started if we can tonight. I think perhaps the weather may have impacted our crowd to a certain degree, but we're glad that that you're here. I noticed that when we have class now back further, y'all stay there. Now there's a a tide waiting to come over the the dam it looks like, doesn't it? So anyhow, but we're glad all y'all are here tonight. It's good to see you. We're Thankful to have visitors and guests, and uh, it's always an honor to be able to welcome you, and uh, we hope that you'll feel blessed as a result of being here tonight. Got a few announcements I wanna pass along to you. First of all, this coming Sunday is Missions Sunday, and please remember that the entire contribution is going to go directly toward mission work. And I know that Memorial Day is a time of travel, and even if you are traveling and going to be out of town, you can still give, you can leave your check or your money. If you write a check, you can simply put on under the memo uh, Mission Sunday at the bottom of that check. And so please keep in mind, everything given Sunday will go directly towards spreading the gospel. And I would encourage you to at least double, maybe triple what you normally give. And as you do that, consider the lost souls of the world that are going to be reached as a result. So let's look forward to that on Sunday, and I hope you'll give some serious thought to that uh, over the next couple of days. I do want to remind everyone that Super Saturday uh, Bible School is coming up June the 11th. There's pre-registration forms in the foyer. Please uh, have each child fill out one is going to be attending, and, and try to get those back in by the 29th. Also, the 2022 graduate bulletin is coming, and you're encouraged to get that information into the office by May 29th, uh, including a portrait of your graduate. Also, we're very happy tonight to announce that uh, Diane White put on the Lord in baptism on Tuesday evening, and uh, that Sister Diane has been attending for several months now, and uh, Jim and Janita's been studying with her, and she's enjoyed coming here to our worship services. And she made a wonderful decision. And I'm going to ask her to stand right where she is, so you'll know who she is if you are not familiar with her. So we want to congratulate her on that life-changing decision. Let me remind you that the pantry item this week is going to be dried beans. Now I have another announcement tonight that, of course, is not included in the bulletin. And by the way. Yeah, please get a bulletin if you haven't done so. It's got an update on our sick and things that of that nature. There's a sign-up sheet in the foyer if you plan on going to the Transform Ladies Conference in Pigeon Forge. That's going to be October 13th through the 16th. There'll be more about this later on. And if you have any questions about this Transform Ladies Conference, please see D. Whirly. That's all the announcements that I have tonight. Uh, Brother Ken is going to be leading our singing, and uh, Brother Todd English will lead us in prayer at the appropriate time. Please go ahead and mark in your songbook number nine hundred forty-three. Nine four three. Do you know my Jesus? And after you mark that please turn to 679 679 tis so sweet to trust in Jesus tis so sweet to trust in Jesus has has been blessed trust just a few days away. Normally we think about Memorial Day as the beginning of summer vacation. But you know, as we think about Memorial Day that's upcoming, we need to never forget the idea that freedom is not free. You know, there was a poll taken not too long ago of those 30 and under And the question was asked, do you think you have too much freedom? And sadly, a majority of those folks said, yes, you know, you can never be free enough. Can't you, can you freedom is so valuable? It's priceless. You know, 25,000 Americans died in the American revolution. 116,516 Americans died in world war one. 405,399 Americans died in World War II. Many of those were under the age of 20. 36,516 perished in the Korean War. 58,209 Americans died in the Vietnam War. 625,000 Americans died in the Civil War. And of course, when we think about the ongoing war in Afghanistan for some 20 years, 6,280 Americans died. Now these numbers, as horrific as they are, fall short, I think, in telling the full price paid for our freedom. Because you see, so many children lost fathers, wives lost husbands, parents lost sons. So many thousands of American patriots have endured devastating injuries of the body and mind. You know, just in the Vietnam War alone, 153,303 Americans were injured. There were 5,283 amputations, 1,741 soldiers have never been found and presumed dead, and an estimated 9,000 veterans of the Vietnam War committed suicide. And so let's understand that war is not glorious. It's gory. I think the Ukraine war has certainly shown us what war can be like as we can now see firsthand very quickly how devastating war actually is. And it's the willingness to leave the safety of home, maybe to go to some jungle or desert or a place that's unknown to defend those that we love from home, back home, that is heroic and unspeakably noble, perhaps even glorious. And this sacrifices of our patriots and the sacrifices that their families have made, the price that others have paid for our liberties is beyond extraordinary. I love the monument up there by the fountain at Northeast. And among other things, there are the words there, All gave some and some gave all. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. And so as we come upon Memorial Day, certainly it's a time maybe of relaxation, of getting together and eating. Don't forget about the thousands and thousands of individuals who gave everything, their lives, so that you might enjoy the freedom that you have today. Now I'm making this entire point just to say this, we must never forget the most precious sacrifice that was ever made at a place called Calvary, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And just like on Memorial Day, every first day of the week, we assemble together to remember and commemorate what Jesus did for us long ago on that old rugged cross to make salvation possible. And Jesus once said, "Greater love hath no man than this, than for a man to lay down his life for his friends." John 15:13. And Jesus did that for you and for me. Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you obeyed the gospel by being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of sins? If not, you may need to do so tonight. Or if you've not been true in your allegiance to the Lord, if you've strayed away, maybe you need to come tonight acknowledging wrong, repenting of those wrongs and then we can ask God in prayer to forgive you. And so tonight, if you're subject to the invitation, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing. I uh, do anyway. Most kind and gracious heavenly father we humbly bow before you today thanking you for the many blessings of this life lord we thank you that you sent your son to die on the cruel cross of calvary that we may have a home in heaven with thee lord i ask that you allow us to take the words that we've heard here tonight and to apply them to our lives and our lives to thy service lord lord just put your hand of protection around all of us watch over us guide us and direct us Forgive us of our many sins. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.